right. Can I just test your mic? Can you just, you know, just talk normally? I'm just going to make sure everybody sounds good. Yes. Sierra Simone is a corrupter of minds. Sierra Simone oh. is a corrupter of minds. <laughs> <laughs> Including yours, Julie Murphy. It's true. <laughs> Perfect. Hey there, book gang. It's not too early to catch those holiday feelings, and today's feelings are going to get a little spicy. You're likely familiar with today's special guests. Julie Murphy and Sierra Simone are sharing their new plus-size heroine for you to love in their first co-written book, A Merry Little Meet Cute. Today, we are going to learn why body positivity in our characters is so important and how the romance industry is changing to feel more inclusive. This spicy romance discussion includes what Julie and Sierra have learned from forming their, admittedly, new odd couple writing partnership and how they rose to new creative challenges. Just a reminder that tonight is our book club discussion night for A Cosmology of Monsters by Sean Hamill. We are meeting tonight at 8 p.m. on the Mom Advice Book Club Facebook group. We have a couple more days in our spooky season month, and patrons have been loving the bonuses. Get my 16-page spooky season guide with movies, TV, and books to check out. I also made the perfect spooky season playlist to put on while handing out candy or when curling up with a dark thriller or scary book. Now let's get to know today's guests. Julie Murphy is a librarian turned number one New York Times bestselling author of novels for all ages, including Dumplin', now a Netflix original film, Dear Sweet Pea, and If the Shoe Fits. Julie lives in North Texas with her spouse, who loves her, her dog, who adores her, and her cats, who tolerate her. We also have Sierra Simone joining us. She is a U.S. Today and Wall Street Journal bestselling author and former librarian. Her notable works include Priest, American Queen, and Misadventures of a Curvy Girl. And her books have been featured in Marie Claire, Cosmopolitan, Entertainment Weekly, and BuzzFeed. She lives with her spouse and family in Kansas City. A Merry Little Meet Cute is their fun collaboration that I can't wait for you to hear about. I love to let our authors do their own elevator pitches, so I'm going to save that task for Sierra and Julie in a minute. Are you new here? Welcome to the Book Gang Podcast. My name is Amy Allen Clark from momadvice.com. Book Gang is all about those debuts, under-the-radar book choices, and helping you expand your stack with backlist book selections. You are listening to the best plus-size romance characters to love with Julie Murphy and Sierra Simone. And I have to mention, as always, the Patreon bonus episode with today's authors is where they spill the real literary tea. Imagine doing a bookworm challenge with two former librarians. So if you like the podcast and you want to show your love for my show, please join my bookish community. I need your support to continue funding my work. The Book Gang is a completely independent podcast that relies upon listeners to fund. To learn more, head to patreon.com backslash momadvice. That is P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com backslash mom advice. If you have space to leave a review or share the show, it would mean so much. Your reviews help encourage others to listen. Okay, I think I've set this one up enough. Let's celebrate our plus size heroines today. Hi there, I'm Sierra Simone. I am the author of Very Wholesome, Clean, Closed Door Romances. That's probably how (laughs) most of you know me. (laughs) That's a total lie. (laughs) Hi. (laughs) Hi, I'm Julie Murphy. I'm the author of books like Dumplin', If the Shoe Fits, Dear Sweet Pea, just to name a few. 
I am truly the author of Closed Door Clean Romances. Sierra and Julia, I'm so excited to have you. We've only had one author duo that came on for The View Was Exhausting was the romance book that we actually talked about on the show. So it's always exciting when we have two writers coming on to talk and we'll see how it goes with sound. We all like admitted our issues going on today. We've got dogs, we've got children. I have a remote working husband. We'll do our best. (laughs) (laughs) So I wanted to start out with just a quick icebreaker and set the scene for your perfect winter evening for reading or for writing. And I'll go first since I'm springing this one on you and it wasn't on the approved list. (laughs) I actually got hooked on this YouTube channel. It's called The Vault of Ambience. And you can pick a scene for your reading mood. So for winter, they have like cozy bookstores and Victorian alleyways. And they even have, if you're into murder mysteries, murder on the Orient Express, train cars that you can ride in for cozy mystery nights. And I did kind of, I guess, succumb to the algorithm in my TikTok where all these women had these Samsung frame TVs and I was like, I need this television. It's just going to change my life. And it has a little bit. I'll be honest. It's really cool. It looks like art. So I have that going and that is in my background. And then I have an electric blanket. I'm in my pajamas and I'm hooked on this tea called Tazo Turmeric Bliss. It's like spicy, it's got heat, but then it has like a sweet finish. So it gives me like the feeling of wine without actually drinking wine. So that's my perfect evening. What about you guys? Well, I think that we both have to admit that, okay, so I got the Samson Frank TV, Frame TV first. <laughs> and then Sierra bought the Samson Frank t- Samsung Frame TV. And then on top of that, she also bought the exact same couch I have. What? So she has. You're an influencer. Yeah, I am. Oh, or that's or that's, that's all she wants to hear. It's true. Or <laughs> she's single white femaleing me. <laughs> oh, that's possible. Next book. Next book. I know. I know. I'm just slowly trying to move in so that I can take over the place in your cat's heart. Yeah, <laughs> and be your new cat me. mom. That's fine. <laughs> I think that my perfect winter night um, is actually. I really love wrapping presents that's one of my favorite things to do Um, it's so meticulous and also mindless for me Mm. and I love writing out addresses on Christmas cards so I have such a huge Christmas card list not because I know and love so many people but because literally if we made eye contact I can put you on my Christmas card list (laughs) yes it's happening I'm on the list yeah exactly so you got to send me your address after this so I can add perfect I will yeah uh, this might be sort of like getting ahead of ourselves, but Julie and I, for the last several years, have done like a Christmas writing retreat, just the two of us, Aww. where we've uh, rented a cabin, usually in Oklahoma, because they have these really beautiful brand new cabins that are super cheap. Like you pay like three raspberries and you get to stay in a cabin that looks like it's from a movie. And they're always decked out for Christmas, Christmas trees. They have these fireplaces. They're in the middle of the woods. Uh, deer prance around them. Uh, So one of my favorite places to write is in these Christmas cabins with Julie, with the promise that at the end of the day, we're going to just like eat a ton of pie and watch the cheesiest Christmas movies we can get our hands on. Um, (laughs) And there's just something about writing with the fire going with a forest outside uh, that just makes me feel like very like 
small and safe in a good way. Like I'm a mm. little like woodland creature, like burrowed in its winter den with its little winter den laptop, uh, just typing the words away. I love that. Well, I want to say a little shout out to Kimberly who asked that question. She is definitely a mood reader and she wanted to hear about your winter setup. So thank you, Kimberly, for this fun icebreaker today. Now we get to talk about your new romance, A Merry Little Meet Cute. And I would love for you guys to set up a new reader about what this new book is about. Oh, did we decide that? Yeah, yeah, I think we decided I have to do this. So, uh, <laughs> elevator pitch. Who's in charge? I know, today? I know. The problem is, is that Julie is fantastic at the elevator pitch, but she wants me to do the like the big sprawling pitch because I'm very good at rambling. So, <laughs> this is a little bit, a little bit more than the elevator pitch. This is the several flights of stairs pitch. Uh, but basically, our our book and the entire world of this series starts out with this guy named Teddy Ray Fletcher. It's a, he's a man with a mustache and he's a man with a plan. Uh, but Teddy, Teddy Ray Fletcher, he works in the world of adult entertainment. Uh, and he has a really big problem, which is that his two kids, who he really loves, they've grown up and now they're very expensive kids. So one <laughs> kid is going to art school, has to pay art school tuition, Another kid wants to start a line of sustainable sex toys and needs like, you know, investor money for prototypes and whatnot. And so Teddy Ray Fletcher, uh, he's not able to help out his kids with the money he's making in the world of like adult entertainment. So he decides that he's going to moonlight, uh, kind of do a side hustle making these Christmas movies, right? Because, you know, Christmas movies, they have a really quick turnaround. The scripts are you know, not too hard to get going to produce, you know, you get a tote full of scarves and pea coats and like a handful of actors that you just rotate between different films. You got yourself a whole setup to make as many Christmas movies as you want. So he decides it's going to be a really easy side hustle. He's just going to jump into the Christmas movies and then his art school tuition problems will be solved. He borrows his great aunt's name and address, opens up an LLC, and he starts producing this Christmas movies. The first one is called Duke the Halls. And it's about a time-traveling Victorian Duke. And he even nabs, uh, for legal reasons, this channel is not a certain greeting card company's channel. Uh, We call it the Hope Channel. The Hope Channel's lead actress, like she's in seven of these movies a year. Teddy Ray Fletcher manages to get her for this first film. Everything's looking great for Teddy uh, until a tragic music festival accident takes out his lead actress. Uh, And she's fine. She's going to be fine, everyone. But she can't do the movie is the upshot. And so Teddy Ray Fletcher runs to his office. He scrapes all the headshots of all the actresses who came to audition for this part into his briefcase. And like any good businessman, he goes straight to a Chili's where he meets with the director of this film. And at this Chili's while they're eating mozzarella sticks and Southwest egg rolls, the director is looking through these headshots that Teddy Ray Fletcher has brought her. And she says, well, this is interesting. I don't think I've ever seen a headshot with nipples before. And then, can I say nipples on your podcast? (laughs) Yeah, we're just going to mark this as explicit. Let's just go. Oh, (laughs) I know. This is, like I said, I was like, I dipped my toes in and this was new for me. I forgot of my listeners. So go for it. We could say a topless headshot. So she's like, this is interesting. I've never seen a topless headshot before. I'm so intrigued. Like, what is this uh, physicality that this actress is bringing potentially to my movie? And so that is how our heroine, B. Hobbs, 
better known to some in the know as Bianca Von Honey, gets cast in Duke the Halls. And so she, Bianca Von Honey is one of Teddy's performers. Her headshot uh, is actually a production still that got mixed up <laughs> with his other real headshots. And Teddy is kind of stuck. Like his director really wants to cast B. B really wants to be in the movie. And so he's like, and he's got, he's out of time. So he really has to get this, this role filled or, you know, or else. So he tells B, go to Christmas Notch. Be the time-traveling heroine you've always wanted to be, but I have some rules for you. No one can know about your, your day job, or I guess night job. <laughs> no, one, no one can know about the other work that you've done. You must keep it, like, very chaste on set. Like, there cannot be any, anything above PG behavior. In fact, no one should know that you've ever even opened a Google Incognito tab on your computer ever in your life. Like, you have to be completely pure. And no one can know who you are, like just no one. And so B gets to set and it turns out that one person on set does know who she is. And it is her co-star, Nolan Shaw, who is her number one subscriber. So that's kind of like where the book kicks off. That's only like the first two chapters. (laughs) You nailed it, though. This this was a a, a good elevator pitch because I think that's going to grab a lot of people. And I'm really excited for them to pick it up. I am curious because this is kind of the odd couple pairing of writing. You guys working on a partnership together. We've got, you know, like you said, a nice, clean YA writer. And we also have the steamy writer that's bringing a different dimension to these stories. So I was curious how you guys met and why did you guys decide to write together? Yeah, it actually, we've been best friends for eight years now. It started in 2014. We were both young adult authors at the time. If you can imagine a time when Sierra Simone was a young adult author. And our dear friend, Natalie C. Parker, was also a debut author that year. And she decided that she was going to throw a bunch of her like young debut author friends in a van and drive us all around the Midwest and take us to as many bookstores as would have us and do a ton of events. And it's really hard to say no to Natalie. So, of course, I found myself saying yes. But the caveat was that there was another writer she was inviting who was a total stranger to me. And not only did I have to share a bedroom with her, but I had to share a bed with her. So our oh, romance... One tro- bed? Like, I know. That's like the our, ultimate romance trope right there. Right? Our, our whole friendship is truly like a series of romance tropes. <laughs> um, so it all started with one bed. Um, so I was really grumpy about having to share a bed with this writer who I didn't know. Um, I sometimes snore. And also I'm just like severely introverted and not interested in meeting too many people. And so we show up at Sierra's house to pick her up. And there in the, like the driveway, she's standing there with like her cute little dress on and her suitcase. And like me, a total Scorpio, turns to her and says, hi, my name is Julie Murphy and I snore sometimes. I guess we're going to have to share a bed. <laughs> and I said, that's okay. I have narcolepsy and I can sleep through anything. <laughs> nice. A dream. A match made in heaven. Yeah. So faded, it was really... Faded mates. Yeah, faded mates, insta-love, whatever you want to call it. And we really didn't turn back from there. I think that, like, we, like, I feel like every friend group chat has a back channel of other friends who are, like, talking alongside the group chat. And we definitely became those friends who were, like, keeping our own conversation going and, like, 
stayed in touch we found out that our circadian rhythms were really aligned we're both like night owls who like to work through the night and so our friends would invite us on all these writing retreats with them and our friends are these people who get up at like six in the morning and do yoga and like eat granola and grass and like smoothies and <laughs> like <laughs> green juice and good all for these you things. not for me <laughs> yeah yeah all these things before eight o'clock in the morning and they set goals for their day and like I truly believe that setting goals is just setting yourself up for failure. I'm just kidding. That's not entirely true, but also a little bit. Um, <laughs> so we uh, we would roll out of bed every morning at these retreats at like 11 a.m. Like teenage boys, just like, does anyone have any lunch meat? Like, <laughs> what can we put in our bodies? <laughs> and these people have already like written their words for the entire day, and we're just getting started at like three o'clock, basically. So. Not only did we have our, like, text back channel, but then we also had our retreat back channel where we basically, like, created, like, Bethany, or Sierra said earlier, sorry, sometimes I call her by her God-given name, um, but it's no secret that, you know, she has another name. Um, But anyhow, Sierra and I started this Christmas writing retreat where we would go a few weeks before Christmas every year to these cozy little cabins And Sierra Simone exposed me to the world of smut. And I exposed Sierra Simone to the world of uh, cheesy, wholesome Christmas movies. And (laughs) that's really where it all started. (laughs) I love it. Well, you know, I was thinking about this just because, you know, something that's come up in conversations with other authors is choosing to take on projects that maybe are out of their normal wheelhouse or something their readers might not expect and choosing to write under a pen name. And, and you're talking about Sierra's you know, pen name. But I'm wondering um, if you had ever considered at any point, Julie, taking that as like a separate thing or if you were just really committed to just staying under your own brand. Yeah, I definitely, I mean, I think like even until like six months before the book was still thinking like, should I have done this? Should I have done this differently? Um, But really, Sierra and I do so many events and signings together and we travel together so often, like before this book was even a thought. Mm -hmm. Um, And we were always surprised to find out how much overlap and readership we actually had. I mean, there are readers who stay in one specific lane, but for the most part, like readers have really diverse and interesting tastes. And of course, I do have lots of like kid readers, but most of my readers, to be honest, are adult women. Mm -hmm. Um, And a lot of my kid readers are getting my books via adults in their life. Um, So I didn't feel too much pressure to like protect my name for the sake of like young reader discoverability or anything like that. Um, And I felt really proud of the work that we did. And there are so many hallmarks of my own work in this Mm -hmm. book that I felt like you know, we were really specific and intentional about how we marketed this and making sure that people knew that this is not a typical Julie Murphy book. This is not a typical Sierra Simone book. So I feel really confident about it. I think the scariest thing is the um, absolutely horrible book banning problem that we're facing right now. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I face that problem a lot with uh, like queer character, with having so many queer characters and so many of my young adult books. Um, and the people who are banning these books are looking for any bit of ammunition. And so they're going to find something no matter what. And I just don't want to bow down to that. So I decided Uh, to keep my name. (laughs) Yeah. I am glad that you brought that up. So as former librarians, like how that experience has been for you and like, you know, what are you thinking about all of this going on in the world? Because it's, it's so 
like heartbreaking to me. You know, I have a high schooler and I actually was a mentor to kids through reading programs. And I have always been of the mindset that any book that gets my child to read, I'm like totally a fan of. You know, I read a lot of things that were not age appropriate, not appropriate for <laughs> like my family would have been mortified at the things I read, but I would stay up late. And that was like my guilty pleasure thing was to read with a flashlight and at bedtime. And I'm still a reader. I'm now pitching books to grownups and continuing that. And I think that this idea where we take away, you know, all of the color, particularly with me being like a Midwestern girl, there's not a lot of culture or experiences that my kids will ever get to experience unless they get books. And so right. it makes me really sad to see so many books being pulled from shelves that are really important books. And it's it's just kind of wild. Things that you would not even expect. I'll mention Jeff Zentner's book just got uh, pulled, I think, and it's in the wild light, which is just a gorgeous you know, story that I my daughter is currently reading, and I'm horrified to hear about that. Yeah, I think that Sierra has a really good perspective on this, too, because she also has kids and does have to deal with, like, the, you know, the repercussions of your kid being exposed to something and then having to have those conversations with them. Um, but, like, as a former librarian, like, I just so strongly believe in access to all types of books, including books that you don't agree with books are such a safe space for children especially to experience scary things that I hope they don't experience or that I hope they don't have to experience anytime soon. And I don't think that, I don't think you could ask for anything better. It's like this, the simulation of the real world and having to like see really traumatic things sometimes, or like you said, being exposed to cultures and people and identities that you might not interact with in your everyday life. Yeah, I think one of the things that I find really compelling about the idea of access is that scientifically, they've actually proven that reading builds empathy. So um, your brain is not actually that good at distinguishing fiction from real life. Like if you read a section about a character kicking their leg, for example, the part of your brain that controls kicking your leg will light up a little bit because you're, you're sort of plugged in in a way that your brain is really experiencing everything as if it's happening to you. And what happens then is that you build empathy, especially as you read about characters from different walks of life with different backgrounds and experiences. You build this sort of robust sense of empathy through fiction, uh, even if you haven't encountered all of those things in your in your actual life. And so reading all kinds of books is essential, I think, for becoming a good citizen. Uh, and I think that as Many librarians will say the purpose of a library is actually in America to create better citizens, to create educated voters. And I think that empathy is a huge part of being a good citizen. I think it's a huge part of, uh, you know, how, how to engage civically uh, with people that you might not always agree with. Because when you live in a place with a group of people, you have to navigate living with people you don't agree with, you have to navigate compromise and building empathy, especially civic empathy is a huge part of that. And so that is one of the reasons why I think access is so crucial. But I will say I worked in libraries before I had kids and I decided when I was pregnant with my first that my parenting philosophy would basically be my library's collections policy, uh, which is always add, don't take away. 
So when we would get challenges from patrons, uh, you know, the way that we would respond is not necessarily by removing the book. In fact, I think only one book has ever been removed from my library shelves. And it was a picture book from the 1970s that depicted a kid playing with like a plastic bag in an unsafe way. That's the only book that my library had ever removed. Their response to a challenge was to say, hey, so what we're hearing is that you feel like this viewpoint is overrepresented on our shelves or this genre of book is overrepresented on our shelves. Why don't we add to kind of the spectrum of things that are represented? So as someone, we got a lot of complaints about spicy romance while I was there. Mm -hmm. Um, And so one of the responses is, okay, we'll make sure that we have a robust collection of closed door romances then. Uh, So add, not take away. So when my children are reading something that might have challenging themes. It's my job as a parent to add context, to add information, to add assistance and kind of processing what they're encountering, not just to divorce them completely from content that might be cause friction or be difficult because I want to prepare them as adults to encounter friction and counter challenging themes and be able to think with nuance and complication and depth and context about whatever they're encountering. And what a great way to do that than with a book. Yeah, I love this idea. I think that's something that everybody can take away, you know, something from. I have always just been someone that has allowed my kids to just experience the world through books. And um, it's been interesting because our book club, I've handed off all of the book club books to my daughter, and she's been taking them to school and reading them. And one of those challenge books, Jeff Sentner is actually at her school today, and she gets to be the school reporter. And she feels really informed because she's read his book. And so I think for me, I will always be the of the mindset that I remember that girl who was far too young to be reading V.C. Andrews, but completely swept away in that story of those little kids trapped in the attic. And uh, it really like moved me enough to continue to be reading. And that's how I experienced the world was through books, because, you know, I grew up in a conservative home. I, you know, grew up in the Midwest and I'm really thankful for those experiences. And I'm also thankful that I've had books to help me build empathy and like expand my worldview. Well, I want to ask something that I had heard in another interview that you guys did and want to build out a little bit. But the pandemic for a lot of writers ended up like kind of having them switch gears, like with their writing, whether it ended up being a really fruitful creative season, or it ended up being a really hard season to write through, and that you both had kind of experienced a plateau with your own writing careers. When you did this project, did this help reignite your creativity to switch gears the way that you did? Yeah, almost certainly. I mean, I think that uh, it's really hard to separate this kind of process from the pandemic, because when we initially had the idea, it was November of 2020. And it was just a really rough time, you know, like we were in a lot of isolation. Uh, That was when cases were really skyrocketing during that winter wave. And I think, you know, for a lot of people, the pandemic and the lockdown sort of represented at a time to I don't know, take a step back. Like people were working from home for the first time. People were making sourdough. Uh, And there was sort of a sense for a lot of people, I think that the rest of life sort of slowed down. But unfortunately in publishing, 
nothing slowed down. In fact, I would say publishing felt like it got busier uh, because everyone wanted more books to read. And so it was like, okay, work Mm -hmm. as much as you can. So by November, I think Julie and I had both really burned through both our energy reserves and our creative reserves. Like, I think that we had really, you know, we had pushed ourselves to surge capacity for most of that year. And then by the time we got to winter, it was like, there's no more fuel left in the tank. And I really felt like I, I was just burned out, you know, like both in the process and both also creatively, I felt like I had sort of exhausted my well and uh, something about working together though was really regenerative and I think that part of it is sort of that improv feeling so when you're writing with your best friend you're already used to saying yes to everything your best friend asks you so if your best friend is like should I buy these pants online you're like yes (laughs) like should I (laughs) stop writing for the night and like you know have a beer and watch like silly tv yes (laughs) like we're so used to saying yes to each other that when it came to having a book idea, we just couldn't stop saying yes. Cause we were like, you know, what if this adult entertainment star is cast in a Christmas movie? Yes. Like what if her co-star is the former bad boy of a boy band? Yes. Uh, what if the movie's about a time traveling Duke? Yes. And so all the times that we probably should have said, pump the brakes, slow down. <laughs> we instead were like to the hot tub <laughs> and we'd go and we'd brainstorm even more. And so there was something about, moving from that sort of place of burnout where there's always a whole list of reasons why this idea you have isn't good enough or not complicated enough or whatever to this sort of improv place of yes and because we were working together um that was it was really restoring yeah i think that i mean everything about the process of this book was comforting like Mm -hmm. we were on one of our little christmas writing retreats which is just like such a delicious morsel of time for both of us that we like look forward to all year um we were like cuddled up sitting in bed after like a long day with like a huge plate of pie just like balanced on our chest watching christmas movies when this idea came to us and like sierra said like we i think that the both of us probably has have written more during the pandemic than we have during any other period of time in our careers Mm. and it was just it was such a relief to write together. It felt like uh, like rediscovering the magic of writing your first book. Like you write that first book and you're so young and dumb and have no idea what you're doing. And so you think you're a genius. You think everything is fantastic. <laughs> and through this whole process of writing this first book, we were constantly like, you're the prettiest person I've ever met. How are you so smart? How are you so perfect? Yeah, it was just, and I, I think we were both scared that the second book that we're working on wouldn't feel like that. Um, and of course, we're like under the gun for a deadline and that's not fun, but we're still having so much fun working on this and just finding out that, oh my God, we're the funniest people in the world. <laughs> <laughs> well, you may have inspired a few girls trips just by talking about cozy pie and like a, you know, winter scene with a cottage. I'm, I'm so on board to do this yeah. with some of my friends. Cause I, I mean, that's like the perfect type of trip. Um, I actually, for my birthday, I decided to get a B and B like stay just for myself here in my own town, but it's like the coziest 
place with the biggest tub that you could ever imagine. And I just brought a big stack of books in the winter because my birthday is in January. No one wants to get together in January, typically. So you have a special friend if you can arrange that. But I'm like, this is the best, like most restorative thing. So I think that everyone should do a winter escape, especially if you have brutal winters. (laughs) You earned it. You deserve those moments. And I think this is going to inspire so many other um, ideas for people for getting away with their pals. So continuing along with this co-writing thing, how are you guys splitting up your work? Um, Well, oh, sorry. Go ahead, Julie. You take it, mommy. Do it. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, daddy. Um, We initially, like pretty much from the very beginning, decided to split it by character, by point of view. Uh, So I took B, or sorry, I took Nolan. (laughs) I took Nolan because he's the angsty one. And Julie took B because B's a porn star and <laughs> why not? <laughs> and I have so much experience writing porn stars as a right. young author. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so we split it by point of view. And one of the things that I think is really fun about the way that we did it was that we were pretty spongy and fluid about that still. So even though uh, I took Nolan's chapters and Julie took B's chapters, we both kind of took ownership of our characters throughout the whole book. So Julie could pop in to my Nolan chapters and during B's dialogue, kind of, you know, say, oh, I think this is more how B would say this, or I think this is a little bit more how this interaction should go. Uh, And then I could do the same with Nolan. But we also did the same with each other's strengths. So Julie comes from a theater background. She's worked in screenwriting and she is fab at dialogue, at banter, at, you know, sort of really quickly pacing a scene, like having a really well-paced section of, of events. And so I could bring Julianne and say, can you make this funnier? Like, can you make this more like one of those sort of poignant, sepia-toned indie movies that you like to watch? Like, can you really make this moment uh, sparkle? Um, and then, you know, there are certain things that I really like doing. I really like writing description. <laughs> so like when it's setting or what a character is wearing, if it's period accurate, you know, early Victorian clothes, I could come in and be like, no, 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 he wouldn't have, you know, fall front breeches. He would have, you know, breeches with a placket or whatever. I could really get into that. And then, of course, I could hop in whenever the when the spice doctor was needed. Dr. Yeah. Spice could hop in. <laughs> Dr. Sierra that. 911. Uh yeah, I was constantly writing like tree and then a note that said like describe the tree. I don't care what the tree is, just figure out the tree, Sierra. Um and she would because it's important to her and it matters to her. And I don't care about the tree. Um <laughs> but I do feel like I was really nervous about writing the spice. Like I read mm-hmm. I read a lot of smut. I read a lot of like romance novels, um, but I was still really nervous to tackle that. And she definitely shepherded me through it. Um, And I feel a lot more confident in it now, but you were very kind and generous with your time helping me through those scenes. Now, if I'm correct. (laughs) (laughs) Now, Sierra, do you have like a thesaurus of like words? Because I feel like I did a little bit of research on your romance background because you have to have the dialogue to create these scenes. And I'm going to quote you in a past interview because I think it's really important for people to understand like this isn't just, you know, smut, you would think it would be 
perhaps easy to write, but to me, it sounds extremely challenging. And you said sex isn't sexy on its own. You have to make the sex sexy. So how are you achieving this for writers? And tell us a little bit about your thesaurus of words, because I I am curious (laughs) about this. (laughs) Well, I'm glad you said this, because I do think that, you know, really what is key to any spicy romance is the characters. And we want to see these characters, two characters, maybe three, <laughs> depending on depending on where you're where you're at and your your TBR. We want to see their intimacy. We want to see their raw vulnerability. And when you're just writing sex from the point of view of the sort of physical movements, the choreography, um, you start losing that sense of character, right? So I think like we could probably all think of movies or TV shows that have had love scenes that have really just felt like their choreography. And their, uh, their events did not matter. They didn't have as much impact. But when you care about these two characters, you know, like, I can still remember feeling like knock, you could knock me over with a feather when Jack and Kate kiss in the second season of Lost, because I wanted those characters to kiss so much that like, I would have like donated a lung to see that happen. <laughs> so even though it was just one kiss, it still felt huge to me. And so when you develop characters that people really want to see come together, that's when you get the power and energy and fuel for a love scene. I think even more than whatever kind of choreography you have. I mean, you can have people hanging from, you know, upside down from Cirque du Soleil ropes or whatever, but if they're just sort of interchangeable with any other character, then it doesn't have the oomph that it could. Um, That said, I do think that there are some tips tips and tricks to making love scenes, you know, really hit home. And I do, I have a, a an erotic word thesaurus that I've built <laughs> on my notes app over the last seven years. Uh, so whenever I read a love scene that I think is just really great, you know, like it's really scratching the itch, so to speak. Uh, I will make note of like, okay, these are the words they've used, uh, not just for body parts, but for motion and movement and connection. Uh, And so that way I have sort of built over time a reference point. So if I'm writing a scene and I'm like, oh, I already used that, that one word, I already used it like three times, I need to find a different word. Um, I have a a resource that I can go to, to kind of check that out. And one of the things, this is like a little bit in the writing weeds, uh, but I do think that a lot of older romances used euphemisms. They use sort of more flowery language to talk about love scenes. And there's been sort of a pushback against that. And I think when you're writing a love scene, it's really important to look at language and to look at how many euphemisms you're using versus how many actual words for those parts or those motions that you're using. I think it's important to kind of balance how much you're pulling back the curtain on and what you're still leaving to the imagination. In my case, that that balance is more like 90-10. I don't leave a whole lot to the imagination. <laughs> um, but it is, I think it is a little bit of an art form. Uh, and kind of intuiting your way through a love scene means that no one love scene looks alike. Because I think that's a great fear for anyone who's writing a love scene is that, you know, readers will feel like you've copy and pasted it. So making each scene specific in language and specific to that moment for those specific characters is key. I, I really am glad that you explained that because I do think that sometimes we don't realize all of the art that goes into a scene like that. The fact that you are keeping this thesaurus and did you share this thesaurus with Julie or is this like the like under wrap and you might like share a word or two to like help I mean, out through a no. scene? 
it's proprietary information, it. but like, what's proprietary information between family? That right? is between family. I did make Julie pay me fifty dollars for it, though. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know that Book Talk is driving our bestsellers list. We all know this. It's been really surprising to see there are a lot of self-published authors that are doing really, really well. They're in the top ten. Colleen Hoover, for example, is a really good example of someone who's just like you know, dominating on this bestsellers list. And I'm curious, um, how do you feel Book Talk has played a role in your, you know, your own sales? And what has that meant to you to see, you know, people connecting with your book in those ways? Sierra is like a little bit of a Book Talk darling. Yeah, I mean, she my is. general feeling is that like, like more readers is always good. It's, it's always, always good. Um, but it's been really exciting to see people rediscover Sierra on Book Talk. I book talk has been really kind to me. I have, you know, priest is an older book. It's seven years old. And I recently saw like a resurgence of interest in that book. And it's purely because of book talk. And I think what is fantastic about TikTok is that it mimics word of mouth more than any other social media platform I have seen. And as a librarian, I can tell you that word of mouth is always, always not only I would I don't know if I would say always the primary driver of sales, but I would say it's always the most effective primary driver of sales uh, because just we instinctively as humans might look at an advertisement and choose not to you know, engage, not to look further into that product. But when you have a friend come to you and they say, you got to read this book and you know, they kind of hand sell you that book, not because they're going to get money out of it, not because there is some pesky librarian that wants you to leave with a bunch of books under your arm, but because they want, they need someone else in their life to talk to this about. You're a lot more likely to engage in that. And so I think book talk kind of mimics that. I will say that I think one of the contrasts to that with book talk is that TikTok has uh, an algorithm that is biased against content creators who are creators of color, who are queer creators. And so a lot of the books on TikTok that really rise to the surface tend to be white and they tend to be straight and cis. And so I think that that's one of those things that's really hard about book talk is that it can be so successful for some authors. um, And then we're not always seeing that success mirrored for authors who are BIPOC or queer or trans. And so that's one thing that I kind of hope changes about TikTok and book talk uh, in the next six months or so. I think more people are really kind of becoming aware of that. Um, and I also hope that, you know, book talk has brought so many new readers to romance that once they kind of get past the sort of Colleen Hoover gateway, you know, that they're going to go deeper into the genre and find, you know, just a huge inclusive array of romance waiting for them. Wonderful. Well, I know that sex and body positivity in this book is really refreshing. I will say that uh, I do see this more now with our heroines being plus size. That has not had not been a thing before, but I am seeing more of it in literature. I just read Weather Girl last winter, and there was a scene where the man was feeling a little more self-conscious about his body. And I was like, why are we not writing that? And I want to see more of that in literature where there is that um, and also maybe just being positive about their body too. But usually with men and our, our characters and men, we're not seeing enough of that, like any kind of questioning or like coming into those kinds of moments and feeling proud of our bodies. So I love that we're going to be talking about this today and talking about some of your favorite plus size characters in books. So what books did you guys bring to share with us today? 
Do you want to go first, Julie? Sure. So my go-to recommendation for plus-size uh, romance novels is always Olivia Dade. Um, she has a long backlist of truly fantastic books. In a general way, the reason why I love her book so much is because she's very aware of her main character's bodies and she understands that like sex in a plus size body might be different in sex in a straight size body. And she finds a way to describe that and make it a present thing without pulling you out of the scene and like, you know, without making you feel like you're being distracted from that moment. So it's really fantastically realistic while also still having that fantasy element that we love so much about romance novels. Specifically, I love her spoiler alert series, which is like a series set in like Hollywood, like on sets or like, um, like movie adjacent type people. Her newest book and the third book in the series comes out, I think in November and it's called Shipwrecked. And this one is a second chance romance. And it's these uh, two people who had these two actors that had like a one night stand and then they found themselves cast together on this TV show that was sort of like a very epic fantasy, like Game of Thrones-esque show. And they've been on set together for six years and have just managed to like keep their hands off each other for six years until the very final night of filming where they just can't control themselves any longer. So I, I just, I just love, I love this whole series and I'm so excited to see this last book come together. I think it's going to be just exactly what our fans have been waiting for. Oh, that sounds really good. And I love that you're bringing a series books because then we have some work to do. We have a few to go through yeah. and we also have something to look forward to with a new one coming out. I know. So yeah, if you start the first two now, you'll probably be ready in time for the third one when it comes out. Wonderful. I I have to jump in and say that I really loved After Hours on Milagro Street by Angelina Lopez. It's a small town romance. So if that's kind of your thing, uh, it's about a city girl. She's coming home to the small town in Kansas to kind of temporarily take over the family bar, which is very lightly haunted by a ghost that may or may not be malevolent or uh, benevolent, sorry. The main character, Alex, she's plus size. And she's also, Lopez writes these fab heroines who are alpha, who are stubborn, who are determined, who are complicated. And what I love about Alex is that she never compromises on anything, uh, sometimes to a fault, but that includes her advocacy around her body. She never stops being... Uh, a larger personality, a pricklier personality, a more stubborn personality, uh, despite like, you know, maybe sometimes feeling like she needs to shrink down. Um, and so she is always unapologetically who she is. And the hero is a sort of lovable, I'm trying to think of a good professional word for this, carnally minded <laughs> professor <laughs> who named Jeremiah, who is just absolutely besotted with her body. Uh, he loves everything about it. He loves her curves. He loves her dimples. Like he loves everything. And so it's like, it's very, very spicy. Like the spice scenes are just off the charts with the way that he loves her body. And she is just one of those characters that feels like, you know, her in real life, you know, like you, it feels like she's someone you would really know. Oh my gosh, that sounds really good too. And as I said, I'm trying to get more into the spicy terrain. So I'm excited to read that one. And I love how you described that with like her just being fully loved for exactly who she is. I love that. Uh, my next recommendation is Switching Gears a little bit. It's a young adult book. It's a specific book recommendation, but it's also like a general author recommendation because I really okay. love 
both of this author, both of these authors work so far. Um, but Crystal Maldonado is this really fantastic up and coming young adult author. Her very <laughs> first book is Fat Chance, Charlie Vega. And that one is a really sweet book about a girl who is really in conflict with her mother about her body. Like her mother's constantly like, you know, pushing diet shakes on her and all these different things to basically make Charlie smaller. Charlie has this really fantastic best friend who is very positive and very supportive. Um, but she's also like the exact picture of what her mother wishes Charlie was. So she's mm -hmm. slim, she's popular, she's athletic. Um, and then Charlie gets asked out by her very cute classmate who she has a very big crush on. And um, she's so, so excited, but she then finds out that he actually asked out her best friend first. And Aww. so it's sort of like, you know, unfolds from there. Um, her second book that I also have to give a quick shout out to is um, My Filter and Other Lies. And it's actually, this is like one of my favorite things to explore. It's a catfishing novel. Ooh. And so the main character is, she's queer. She's, I want to say she's Puerto Rican. I'm not hundred percent sure. Um, and she lives in like this very boring, like California suburb. And she creates this whole identity, this like false identity as an influencer. And she gets really close with one of her followers and it starts to feel like there might be chemistry there. But then suddenly one of her posts goes very, very viral and the person who originally owned the photo finds it and everything starts to sort of unravel for her. Mm. Um, and as someone who is like, <laughs> grew up in the age of AOL when you could like sign yes. into a chat room and be Same. literally anyone and also obsessed with like the show Catfish. Like I just, it's the perfect mixture of everything I love. <laughs> oh, that sounds so good too. Uh, and then I just, I have to talk about this book since you mentioned okay. Plus Size Heroes, uh, Zenny by Rebecca Weatherspoon. It's another small town romance. I guess I have a theme um, about uh, Zenny who comes home because her aunt has just died uh, and left her a house and some money, but with a catch. And it's that she has to get married to this bagpiping Scotsman who also lives in this tiny New England town. Uh, and Mason is our Scotsman. He's the one that Zenny is going to have to marry. And he's, um, he's a plus size hero. And so he's kind of like a burly guy. And they get they have this marriage of convenience. And one of the things that I really love about this book is that it's it's MF, so, you know, there's a man and a woman, but it's also queer because both characters are bisexual. Uh, and so you get this sort of kind of moment where they're both on the same wavelength, right, about, like, their experiences coming out to their families, their experiences trying to date or live with the people they love as, mm. as queer people. And so it's just this really lovely uh swoony little story it is very spicy though so i gotta i gotta tag that it is pretty spicy perfect perfect i'm glad you tagged it <laughs> i mean everything rebecca touches is gold i think we have one more again i'm just yeah. like recommending authors because i'm just like in love with these women yeah do it um but i think we've got one more and i am constantly begging people to read literally anything by renee watson Ooh. i think that if you like she has, she's written like incredible books, like starting with picture books, middle grade, but the book that I really, really love. And I think if you're a little bit of a romance reader, you might love too, is called love is a revolution. And it's about a girl who 
is at an open mic night and starts falling for this guy there who is like a big activist, like in like the local community. And so this is one of my favorite romance tropes. She starts like faking interest and in activism to like get closer to him. <laughs> and like, I don't know, Renee just writes like such fantastic, like poignant books about uh, like black girls and black women. And so to see her take like a slightly more playful approach to this is like really fun and exciting. And I was just so pumped to see her write a romance. Oh, I love it. I don't know how anybody couldn't walk away with a huge stack of books from you guys. And as we're closing out, I always end our author chats with this question. And I know I didn't tell you because I didn't I didn't prep you for this. But <laughs> I and I'm sure you're like a loyal listener, so you know what's coming, but I'm just kidding. <laughs> um the one thing that I want to ask you is what you're most proud of today. Oh man, that's a really hard question. Today, really? like Specifically, like, what Thursday? are you most proud of in your <laughs> in your career? It could be even in your career or even just this season. What are you really proud of? I mean, not to be totally cheesy, but like we just got off this like long book tour and it was absolutely it was so much fun, but it was so grueling. I'm just I'm so proud of us for doing that. But I'm also so incredibly proud of this book because we both find ourselves suffering a lot for our art and usually much more than we than anyone ever needs to just because it's part of our artistic process, which is not a good reason. Like, I, I hate the idea of like artists like <laughs> glamorizing their suffering, their suffering for their art. Um, but this book was just like I can look at this book and have no complicated feelings. Like I look at this book and I feel so proud of the experience and the fact that I got to do it with my best friend like it's not every day that someone just pays you to hang out with your best friend. And I think that this, we just had so much fun and it's funny. And I like, I feel weird talking about my own book like this, but I feel like I'm talking about my best friend's book. You know what I mean? So I don't at the same time feel weird. So I'm just really proud of us for stretching ourselves in so many different ways and for going back out on the road after like how many years away on a pandemic and bringing this book into the, the world. I'm really proud of us. Yeah. I think that ties into what I I am most proud of for us right now, which is that when we wrote A Merry Little Me Cute, we really were just in the sandbox of like anything could happen. Like when we started writing it, we had other books under contract. And so we agreed that this was kind of our dessert project. This was kind of like what mm-hmm. we were going to have an affair with when we were done with our, <laughs> you know, our real words for the day. And so there was sort of this... Uh, this magical feeling, this, like Julie said earlier, this first book feeling to the book, because it wasn't tied down to a contract. No one was expecting it from us. It was kind of a new arena for both of us, for Julie, spicy books, for me, happy books. Um, And so (laughs) we were really playful. Um, But I did wonder, like, after its publication, or, you know, even after we had really started it on its journey through the publishing pipeline, if working on the second book, would change or something about it would shift because now it was under contract. Now people were expecting it. Um, Now there was already sort of like uh, edges to our sandbox, so to speak. We couldn't do anything we wanted because we had already created a world and the first book that we needed to engage in with the second book. And so I was worried that that would sort of shift the playful feeling, the joyful feeling that we had when we were working on it. And it has not. Um, Mm. And I don't know if that's like good luck or if that Mm. just means that we're good at our jobs, but we have somehow with the second book 
still managed to carve out this place of just very, very silly, uh, happy, spicy joy with these half feral uh, characters. <laughs> and yeah, like I, we have somehow on purpose intentionally created a ton of joy in our work day. And that was something that was definitely beyond my capabilities a couple years ago. So good job us. Yeah. Yeah. Your dogs are very proud of us too. Yeah, Did you just the, mute yourself. Let us hear the dogs. Come on, give us the dogs. I know. A round of applause yeah. from the dogs. Yeah. Go for it. <laughs> okay, well, I am proud of you. I get to be the proud mom on the show. So good job, ladies. And I'm so excited for people to pick up a merry little meet cute. It is on store shelves now. There's no reason why you shouldn't go and grab it. So if you need a little spicy romance for your holiday season, definitely pick this book up. Where can people find you if they want to connect with you more? Um, The best way to connect with me uh, is via email because I am really bad at answering DMs. You can email me at thesierrasimone at gmail.com. My website also indexes all of my like new releases, sales, whatnot. That's thesierrasimone.com. Uh, and on the com, I highly recommend signing up for my newsletter. That's where I tend to engage the most with readers, um, just because, as you might tell, I'm long-winded. <laughs> so an Instagram <laughs> caption cannot contain me. Uh, no. So my newsletter is kind of my main place. Perfect. Yeah, I'm really active on Instagram. You can find me as and I'm Julie. I'm also and I'm Julie on Twitter and and I'm Julie Zero on TikTok. But I think that we should also say that we're both uh, on juliansierra.com. We have a joint newsletter there that you can sign up for if you're totally interested in keeping up with all the, like, raunch-com Christmas things that we're up to. Um, And you can also contact us both there if you have, like, a question or a thought about the book that you'd like to share with us. Um, And then I have, like, a similar setup on my website. I've got a newsletter, and, you know, you can contact me there. I am much worse at responding to emails. Um, So honestly, if you have a burning question, you should ask me in the comments of an Instagram post. That's probably the fastest way to get to me. That's how to get to me too. So (laughs) definitely exercise your right to do that, but do not email me. We'll never receive a response. (laughs) Well, ladies, thank you guys so much for joining the show and for our Patreon pals. They are following us over to take the real bookworm challenge. Since they were both librarians, I'm expecting really big things and putting the pressure on them. So if you want to join in on that fun game show, it's patreon.com backslash mob advice. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com backslash mob advice.